0: How to Create a Glitch Monologue Season 32 Chapter 2 This is Season 32 of How to Create a Glitch in the Matrix Monologues Episode 2. In this episode, we will be talking about the implications of the historicity of objects. The examples given in Season 31 Chapter 6 of objects which provoked a retrocausal thought are all created objects with names given to them by people. They all possess, to some degree, Personality upon a spectrum. That is, there is a personal component as well as an ideal component to their substance. Moreover, in episode 7, we talked about how objects can often be imbued with some degree of subjecthood via our reactive responses in response to our intentionality. This subjecthood manifests in the degree to which we are rendered contingent to them in the passage of our consciousness from one moment to the next. That is to say, Any such object with some limited personality can seem to exert a kind of intentionality according to its design, and the degree to which we subjugate our consciousness to it. Let me explain. Suppose you are using a stapler and it isn't working properly. You press down on it, and no staples come out of it to staple the page. You become angry at it. You use a second stapler and it works perfectly. You could ascribe the first stapler a non-compliant attitude, Oppositional nature, if you so chose. The second stapler and affirming intentionality. The mere fact that we can ascribe this kind of intentionality to the objects gives them a kind of consciousness of a limited kind. Now, when we share a common orientation to some object, we know that creates a gateway between two consciousnesses. The degree to which that object is in common with different people in different places, is the degree to which that object can produce a gateway between them. Which is to say that esoteric objects, for example, possess the capacity to unify many minds, owing to their commonality between cultures and civilizations. Which is to say that different objects possess a different degree of unanimity. Now, if decontextualization can be described as the elimination of the personal, then the retrocausal can be described as its reattribution. That is to say, that without the attribution of the name to the object, it would not be that object so described. A telluride, a cement mixer, an artistic representation of a bear, even a hockey player, would not be what they are without the name attached to them. Likewise, it is the giving of that object a name which has power. It has power because it imbues some degree of consciousness to the object and represents the passing off of a limited quantity of your consciousness to it. Let's look at a different example. If you have a kitten and you've raised that kitten, and one day the kitten does something that puts her at risk, say running next to a road, and you are nearby, if you react angrily that reaction is going to cause her to fear you, perhaps, and potentially run away from you into the road. But if you are calm, at peace, renouncing your subjecthood, the exertion of your wool, you are more likely to coax her back into the house. The point is, the kitten has some degree of consciousness on her own, but in some ways is similar to the vehicle in our car crash example. If you exhibit reactive emotionality towards that object, releasing your wool or consciousness to the object, you are potentially rendering your passage in the next moment to a place of contingency to it, first and foremost. I call this realization the zeroth gate in season 17, episode 4. It is the realization that giving into attachment, when the object of that attachment may have its own limited consciousness, violative of your intentionality or will, makes your consciousness contingent upon it. The idea was, that in renunciation of the objects of consciousness, one can maintain one's being unimpeachably. Preserve oneself even in the face of the greatest threat to one's physicality. But more importantly, the lesson with the kitten tells us, that sometimes the execution of ones will requires recognition of the consciousness of our object, such that only in renouncing it, do we have any hope of saving it. Now, what does this have to do with our examples in relation to the retrocausal? To bring it all back to the earlier examples, because we can ascribe intentionality to objects, such as the stapler, we can ascribe attitudes to them, personality to them. This capacity means that two people can have a dialectical orientation to a specific object. For example, let's say the oppositional defiant stapler always works for your co worker but never works for you. For her, it is an affirming stapler. The point is, the arrangement of objects often reflects our consensual and non consensuality. For her, its function is an extension of her consensuality. For you, an extension of your non-consensuality. This means that certain objects can represent gateways between the consciousnesses of certain people. In conclusion, the fact that my retrocausal thoughts were a bear, a cement mixer, a telluride, a hockey player, says more about who I am connected to, than it does about the particular context in which they occurred. That's the end of the podcast for today. If you enjoyed it, please like, comment and subscribe.